Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to The Playlist Podcast, a series of brief discussions with writers from the film blog The Playlist. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan. And joining me later on this episode will be Managing Editor Kevin Jaggernaut and Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez. This episode comes to you in two parts, starting with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. This weekend finally saw the release of Warner Brothers' costly gamble to lay the tracks down for their eventual Justice League movie universe. By combining the Cape Crusader with the Man of Steel, the studio and most everyone else felt they had a sure thing. The box office returns this debut weekend have proven to be healthy, and perhaps even better than expected after toxic early reviews hit the internet last week. But will this film have the legs to be an actual fiscal success for Warners in DC? And what does the mixed response to the film mean for the future of this would-be behemoth franchise? Kevin Jagernot joined me via Skype to hash it out. Here's our chat. The thing to look at is, you know, if if we're talking about box office as... Warner Brothers' previous biggest opening weekend was uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2. Mm-hmm. So Batman versus Superman beat that. Uh, however, the usually when a film opens this big, it crosses $400 million domestic. Deathly Hallows didn't. And it, had, and it dropped its audience like something like 70% or 72% in its second weekend. So it had a massive second weekend drop off. So the question here is, is Batman a one-weekend phenomenon, which I think it, it, we're looking at that, or is it going to sustain and like and do the numbers that the studio needs it to? I, uh, I will be surprised. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to say, but, you know, given that the mixed reaction from, I mean, critics didn't like it, even, but even fans, like if you look at a lot of what people are saying online, they're like, well, it's not as bad as what critics said. <laughs> Which is sort of a half-hearted, like, I didn't waste my money going to the theater. I'm sure Warner Brothers is so relieved that this movie outgrossed Deadpool's opening weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Because I felt like that looked like the scariest barometer for them. Because Deadpool had that amazing, like, unexpected, like, it was north of 150 million, I think, for its its first weekend. It was, like, it was huge. And that movie's proven to be a pretty unexpectedly big, you know, box office, uh, huge success. Yeah. And then you compare the budgets between the two movies and how much more profitable Deadpool has been able to be because it was so much lower, uh, lower cost to make. Yeah. I think some of what we're looking at with just Warner Brothers big problem here is how much money they've sunk into this Batman and Superman movie. Uh, the the budgets are they're saying two hundred and fifty million, but you know mm-hmm. the, the rules of Hollywood usually dictate that you can add more to that for the budget and then at least twice as much, or you just double that for the marketing that they must have put in it. But then the news is that they've spent more money than I think any other studio on um, media and marketing this movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Man, I mean, so so now you look at the reality of this movie is that uh, Batman versus Superman has to clear like 800 million worldwide just to be breaking even. Yeah. And then it has to cross that new threshold of the billion dollar worldwide gross to be successful. It's like, I think one of the things here is like, if there's anything to speculate or maybe suggest or or just wonder is like, I, I don't know. Could these movies be less expensive? Possibly, it feels like they could be. I, I don't know. Maybe. What I mean, I mean, I think anytime you put Batman and Superman in a movie, it's going to be expensive. Uh, and I don't think necessarily budgets the problem with this movie. I mean, if the movie was good, no one would care. Yeah, this is true. Or how much they spent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think maybe the problem in thinking for Warner Brothers was, you know, if we throw enough movie at this, it'll be too big to fail. Yeah. And I think what they're seeing is that that's not the case at all. It's not the uh, case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's doing well this weekend. So, so you know, credit for that. But, you know, you couldn't – this is not the kind of movie you want to build a franchise on. I'm wondering if Suicide Squad in the summer might turn out to really be their sneaky big hit. Like, what if that – to me, that I feel like could be Warner Brother, the DC, like, you know. That I'm sure they're hoping it's a Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. and it really feels like it could be that, like for them. And um, man, if that outgrosses, what if? What if that? I mean, it's a what if, whatever. But uh-huh. like, what if that outgrosses in the end what Batman v Superman did? I mean, where do they? Then I think that changes so much for them. But but where do well, they? In, in terms of like whether or not it does financially better, I don't I don't think that is as much of an issue. But if it's just a plain better movie. Hmm that audiences enjoy more that's a concern because you know if your movie with the two biggest icons of the dc comics universe is not working and critics and audience and critics are not rolling with it and even audiences are kind of in not indifferent but like sort of begrudgingly accepting of the movie and then you have your sort of suicide squad which is supposed to be like you said your guardians of the galaxy it comes along and is better received. Uh, that's kind of a big deal. And I think if that happens, you'll see Warner Brothers seriously shake up the rest of their slate because they're going to want more Suicide Squad. And they're going to be like, you know what? We've got to ditch a Flash movie because there's just not the excitement there. We have to ditch Cyborg mm. or something like that because no one cares. And we need to get Suicide Squad in there. So, um yeah, that's an interesting point, and I think you'll. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Warner Brothers does over the next few weeks and few months because they, you know, they can. They'll have a good weekend this weekend. They'll enjoy the moment, but they really need to consider what they're doing with this very valuable property because they can't. They need to do some course correcting, and it's going to be interesting to see what shape that takes. Yeah, no doubt. And you got to you got to uh, Warner Brothers has got to be thinking like what else do we have to do in in this circumstance where mm-hmm. it's it feels like it's been a struggle just for them to get a, like this movie, you know, up there it cost a lot of money. I mean, Man of Steel, the the movie that led to this one cost a ton of money before they even shot an inch of film on it. You know, that was the story back then and you know, that movie had like you know, did decent grossing. But if I remember right, it was under like 700 million worldwide. So it wasn't like a massive hit. So I wonder if they're just sitting there thinking like, what else do we have to do? We put, (laughs) we put Batman and Superman in a movie and we just can't please anybody. And of course they spent all this money. Um, 
in a way, I, I, I would like to see them take some lessons from the Deadpool playbook or, you know, the um, God, even in some instances, like um, it might be a bit arbitrary, but you look at like Netflix and Amazon and some of the stories there with what they're doing, trying to become a studio or trying mm-hmm. to play play in the game is like they're trying to go back to that mid-level, uh, like an adult drama type movie, like yeah. a $50 million type of thing, which doesn't seem to get made by most of the studios. It, it just not as made as often anymore. Um, I mean, like you said, you can't avoid an expensive Batman in a Superman movie, but I guess I'd like to see Warner Brothers learn a lesson from here because I just don't see it as being sustainable to create a series like this that's built on a very expensive but rocky foundation that could be crumbled so easily. It's, it's. I hope they learn lessons from this, uh, regardless well, I mean, of how successful. Yeah, I mean, I think the lesson they're learning is not to put the cart before the horse. I think the big mistake here was rushing towards was rushing towards Justice League, which is what the plan was. They they said we're going to do Batman, Superman. We're then you'll have Justice League the next year, which you know on paper that's very exciting for fans. Everyone was very excited. It feels rushed. It feels like they're it does. They're sort of just um, racing towards this product rather than actually building something that feels organic. I mean, listen, Marvel spends money hand over fist, mm-hmm. but the creative decisions they make are well thought out. They they really plan for when they're going to introduce a character, how it's going to affect everything else, and and so when you see it as a like, I'm not a Marvel, I'm not a comics book, comic book movie fan by any stretch but you can recognize when something is built with a certain amount of care and a certain amount of attention to how they're positioning their um their property you just don't get that sense from warner brothers there's no one out front like um like a kevin feige who's really like even between movies he's the guy telling fans like this is what's happening and this is what we're thinking and I guess, you know, it, Zack Snyder has been that voice. He has not been a great voice for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw that thing over the weekend uh, about Jimmy Olsen. Yes, I did. Your, your post about it on the site. Yes. Yeah, where he's like, where Jimmy Olsen is in the is in Batman versus Superman and gets shot in the head. I had no idea that was him. <laughs> no, me neither. But, uh, and his justification is it for it is, well, we're not going to use him, so I'm just going to do this thing. Which is just like, you know, I mean, this is not like I don't like doing a Marvel versus DC comparison very often, but that is something Kevin Foggy would just never do. He's like, okay, we're not using this character for now, but it's still an asset that you can bring in later. And, it, and, the, the, and the sort of casual air of like, we're just going to get rid of this character in a fairly glib manner is, I don't know, I think for anyone who's a DC Comics fan and is still clinging to hope that. I don't know. Like I would look at that and be, and be seriously worried. There was a lot of talk last year about how they were like, don't worry about our bombs. You know, pan didn't do well or Jupiter ascending didn't do very well, but we've got, we've got this justice league thing coming. And I feel like, um, and you use the words too big to fail is a really apt like statement to use because they came off like that. I think the thing to look at as a comparison point would be Sony's The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm, yes. You know, that's a movie that critics didn't like generally, that, you know, very diehard fans had problems with. And Sony made the first movie, and they and they plowed ahead. They had a big plan 
They had a plan for a trilogy of movies. They had a plan for spinoffs. Right. And after the second movie came out, it did less than the first movie. And they were like, you know what? This is big enough to fail. And they, and they gave, they scrapped that plan entirely and went back to Marvel and are now teaming with them to reboot the character. So I think there's two things to look for. I think we're going to have to look at what happens next weekend. And more importantly, what the first Justice League movie will do financially and critically. Because here's the thing, I mean, that movie, Justice League starts shooting on April 11th. They are deep into pre-production. You know, the vision for that movie is already laid out. So, yes, we do, we do hope for course correction, but barring Warner Brothers announcing this week or next that they're pushing back production on Justice League, they are moving ahead with that vision that Zack Snyder, that Zack Snyder has put together and no doubt it's going to be the same sort of mood and her messy story and God knows what else that, we're, that we got with this film. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Black and blue. Fight night. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. God versus man. Day versus night. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. The problems with this movie are just down to really fundamental things, like everything that's any kind of themes or anything is completely surface in this movie. Yeah. They are not getting into any of it. It's, oh gosh, and it's like another, this is my last Marvel to DC comparison, but the Marvel <laughs> movies do not feign any kind of pretension. That's, no. I, I will give them credit. They have, stuck to just being mostly light and fun and bright and, you know, yeah. Entertainment. Now DC and Warner brothers, that's great. If they want to go for something different, they should, they have to have their own look and feel, but letting this crew, this, this director really like create this, this overall feel. I, I think you need a more intelligent director. Uh, um, you need one that can really sell, if you want to be taken seriously in the way that Batman v Superman wants to be, you know, mm -hmm. as a film, they really do want, I feel like they wanted this to be taken seriously with the themes. Yeah. You have to do more than set things up, talk about them in dialogue, and then essentially blow up that idea literally yeah. in the scene. You know, watching the whole movie, all I could, I, what kept coming back to me was actually the dark Knight yes. rises in particular that that movie, a lot of it, is Bruce Wayne grappling with putting on the suit again, mm -hmm. which on paper, if, if you tell any fan that Batman's going to spend half the movie thinking about putting on his costume, like they would be like, that's crazy. <laughs> but when he does, it's an exciting moment and it has such great import. And here's, and Batman v Superman comes along, which sort of, at least from Superman's perspective, wrestles with some of those same ideas where he's like, this guy who's trying to do good, but has become a pariah and has, and, is, and you know, is being attacked for being an alien. Like I wanted to see more of him being like, you know what? Like, screw this. Like I can't, I'm not doing this anymore or something mm -hmm. to see like what's weighing on him emotionally. But we never see that at all. And that would have been a continuation from the first film with his relationship 
which they have moments uh, with this in, in the sequel here in Batman v Superman. But in Man of Steel, there was that whole, um, the, the Kevin Costner, you know, as his adopted father, like that was what he kind of tried to teach him, you know, like yeah. you don't owe anybody anything. And I thought that was a kind of a bold new concept for Superman to deal with in these yeah. movies. And you're right. They've, they've let that sort of slip by the wayside for, for a lot of spectacle that, um, you know, as another side note, I mean, this movie just doesn't have an original special effect in it. And I think that hurts it too. I mean, by the time Doomsday comes along in this movie and it just looks like, it looks like a troll from like Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, but with like laser eyes. I, I think that's an issue that they really need to look at. And I would say this, this um, applies to all the Marvel movies too, is all yeah. these movies. And this is what's going to kill the audience. I think down the road for this at some point is everything looks the same. Mm. And it's either in dark mode here for Warner Brothers or, you know, bright mode for, for Marvel. Doomsday, to me, didn't even need to be in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Like, why not just make Lex Luthor the villain? <laughs> and have him, I don't know, like have some weird plan. But why do we need another half hour of mega, you know, oh man. And <laughs> why do we need another half hour of mega destruction after the whole opening of the movie is Zack Snyder essentially apologizing yeah. for the mega destruction of the first movie. He's retconning his own movie. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on forever, and you're right, the effects aren't great, and it feels like you've seen that sort of massive creature destroying a bunch of stuff like a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Russ Fisher pointed that out in his... He he did the official review on the playlist, uh, right. gave it a C-, and... I agreed after I saw the film with what he said, he had pointed that out that like for all the money put into this, um, it's kind of hard to see it up on the screen. I mean, the movie looks glossy and everything, but it doesn't, it didn't look expensive. I mean, I could tell they spent money on it, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, in an age where, um, you know, like ex machina, a, a very low budget movie comparatively wins the Oscar for special effects, which I thought was yeah. awesome by the way. Um, I think these big, the big, boys with the big toys here in, in the studios like they need to up their game if they're gonna or even look at Deadpool which costs you know right. just under 60 million and it looks fine you know it doesn't no it doesn't wow you with special effects but like it gets the point it gets what it needs to get across done Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you're not, it's not wanting for explosions or people getting shot in the head or whatever. Barring any kind of production delay that they're going to start making the the two Justice League movies, right? It's a two-part deal? I think they're shooting the first one and then pausing and then shooting the second one after. Okay. I don't and, think they're both at the same time. And Zack Snyder has hinted at that he's sort of using Seven Samurai as a inspirational kind of jumping off point. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think about that? I mean, that's a bold... Uh, I mean, we're talking about an I'm, all-time I'm classic. I'm amazed he's actually seen Seven Samurai. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, I'm amazed he has. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> touché. I've seen Seven Samurai. <laughs> touché, touché, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely using sexy... Uh, he, he's, he's using, I guess, the kind of comparisons that are going <laughs> to make movie fans uh, pay attention. But yeah, yeah I... I... But, I mean, listen, okay, to be, to be not to be glib or whatever, mm-hmm. sure, the idea of a Seven Samurai-inspired uh, Justice League is great on paper, but Zack Snyder has never been a director of great subtlety or nuance... No. And and I don't think his storytelling storytelling abilities are all that great, so it's fine for him to say that. But I don't, I don't trust that it's going to come across in 
execution. And, and the, man, the one of the main problems with Dawn of Justice is the script is a mess. Yeah. And I really, really don't trust that it's not the case for Justice League, that we're not looking at another story that's twice as long over two movies that's still a muddle and is now going to be dealing with, you know, like a half dozen main characters. The, the work, the, it's on Warner Brothers now mm-hmm. to like prove that they can do better. Yeah, I mean, and I think the audiences uh, are smarter these days and quicker to speak out, as we've pointed out, or they're able yeah. to get their opinions out there quicker. And the onus is on these studios to make, you got to make, I mean, this the movies need to be better, I think, and, and they will be rewarded. They they will, they would have, I think there's one thing we can easily speculate on is they would end up making more money with this Dawn of Justice movie if it were better. And Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it had a great opening, it has a great opening weekend. But they are leaving so much more money on the table because it's not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if it was a great movie and critics were over the moon and audiences were over the moon and everyone's telling everyone to go see it, yeah, we would have this whole pot, like this whole conversation would be completely different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all wanted the movie to be good. Warner Brothers, first yeah. and foremost. And, and it, part of this, it goes to show just how hard it is to make a good movie, especially one with this. <laughs> much money into it and this many moving parts. And it it is more, more bad movies are made than good movies every year. But um, yeah, there's that lack of care that that's right up on the screen with this one. So um, yeah, I think, I think we could just say, take, take your time. Warner Brothers. And I think it's worth reminding, you know, there's a lot of people who are like critics had it in for the movie or like had some secret meeting to decide that they weren't going to like it. I think it's worth reminding people that, no legitimate critic anyway goes into a movie hoping it's bad or wanting to see a bad movie. So, you know, I think, I think people, I think critics went in hoping to see something good and they didn't. And now it's up to Warner brothers to, to fix that. Well, Kevin Jaggernaut, thank you uh, for coming onto the podcast here and for talking briefly uh, about Batman V Superman. Let's, uh, I don't know if we, we collectively need to keep our fingers crossed for the movie, but you know, I don't, I don't want people to lose jobs over this thing, which is just potentially going to happen, you know, not to be cynical or glib myself, but, uh, you know, let, let's, let's see, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what's going to happen to see how this one pans out, but, uh, we're definitely hoping for better movies down the road. So, uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on, man. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks a lot. And now, in part two of this episode, I'm joined by Playlist Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez to discuss The Screening Room, Sean Parker's proposed day-and-date streaming service that made headlines this last week. Some see this proposed idea as sounding the death knell for movie theaters, while others don't see this particular attempt being the next evolution of movie distribution Parker and company were probably hoping for. Nonetheless, there's lots to unpack here. But before we do, I'll drop you into the opening of my chat with Rodrigo Perez as he adds his two cents to the Batman v Superman discussion. The conversation about Leg is an interesting one because, um, well, first of all, you know, there's been so much, um, uh, you know, combativeness battling and, and, and like the, the online conversation has been so full of turmoil, I guess. And so like the the conversation wants to, the conversation always wants to be this reductive thing that's about um okay so 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 it won now right and 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 that is over like the critics didn't like it but it did well at the box office it did amazing at the box office so 
the movie's won and the conversation's over and it's like it's a little you know it's it's pretty reductive because yeah it has done great but there's going to be a few more weeks that are going to decide things it's not going to be it's not going to be uh the, the, you know it's not over till the fat lady sings is essentially the 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 motto that everybody should have when it comes to if you're if you're talking about box office success and those sort of things that's you it's more it's more than even just like legs in terms of like week two or two week three it's like it's not over till the fat lady sings i can't you know find a better i guess cliche for example star wars it did insane numbers right like crazy insane numbers and everybody was like well it's going to make three billion dollars then it's going to beat avatar and it's going to beat um titanic at the at the uh, worldwide box office and it did neither of those things like and I you know I kept saying you know I would I was following this very closely because I was sort of fascinated with that and I would talk about like you know like charting its growth and watching it and being like you know I'd been saying from kind of the very beginning as I think I said maybe also in like that that box office year-end piece is that like things um uh, the box office these days is, has these this massive flashpoint. It's like a spotlight flare, but then the 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 light goes out fairly quickly, and and so like something like Star Wars burnt incredibly bright in its first few weeks, first six seven weeks, astounding numbers. But uh, it's like everybody goes to see it in the first period, and then there's no like there's no gas in the tank afterwards. And don't get me wrong, Star Wars did amazing numbers. It did two million, just over two million dollars. But it's it's gone at the box office. It's it's essentially over, and it won't beat Titanic or Avatar at the box office. So, what I think people need to keep in mind is um, these like sort of flashpoints, these like nuclear like bl- like jarring, blinding lights at the box office. Um, they are they are incredible at first, and and they are something to behold. But like you know, and then and then that that flashpoint goes away, and it, it tends to be that. Um, like, you know, a few years ago, like something like Avatar ran for like 32 weeks and, and did insane money. Now we're looking at like Star Wars, which I believe is done after like, um, maybe even less than 20. I, I don't know off, offhand, but even Jurassic World, um, in the summer, I think did 25, 26 weekends, but like, you know, Avatar was doing up into the thirties or something, even longer and a much more longer tail and the, the burn was more consistent. So I guess that's my roundabout way of saying that like um, it's it's conceivable that this could happen to something like Batman and Superman that there's this amazing flashpoint burn you know fourth highest worldwide um, uh, opening weekend gross but um, it'll be in in the in the following weeks yes it's going to crack five hundred million. Um, probably by the week, some midweek, you know what I mean? And the narrative's going to be, uh, for several weeks, it's going to be 600, 700, 800. And people are going to be like, okay, it's going to be doing 1.5 billion. It's going to be doing this and that. And, you know, you, this is a, a, a more, you've got to take a more measured take. You have to, uh, you have to watch these things grow. You have to really chart the, the, the trajectories and, and the pacing because, um, I mean, yes, it's going to do amazing numbers. Will it hit a billion um, based off of uh, based off of this opening? Yeah, uh, it sure looks like it. But you know, let's see how it drops in like anywhere between week two and week week six or seven. You know what I mean? I think I think around six or seven is really when Star Wars. When because I've been saying from the beginning, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna beat Titanic or, or Avatar worldwide. And people were like, "You're crazy! You're crazy! You're absolutely crazy!" 
Um, you know, I, I was saying like on Twitter basically that every single weekend and it became much more every weekend. It just became more and more clear. And then I think by week seven, I was like, like lying in the sand uh, based at where it is now. It's not going to beat it. It's not going to happen. And and people were still like, no, 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 you're crazy. But you know what I mean? Like they're not paying uh, like super, super intense attention. You, you, you see these things, you, you see the pace, you can understand, you can, you can, predict or at least project things it's not that difficult you cannot deny it fantastic opening weekend i i think maybe even domestically it could have done a little bit better i mean it did what was it one is it 160 or 170 that it did this week 170 and you know even something like jurassic world did over 200 domestically well the, the i guess the difference would be that um uh, jurassic world uh, uh had much more positive reviews um, whereas Batman, you cannot say that about Batman versus Superman. That's for sure. No, you can't. And um, and I guess the other advantage is that it was released in in the summer, whereas you know uh, Batman and Superman is, has this sort of weird March uh, March date. That's not something that uh, that blockbusters like this normally do. But you know they at one point had the same date as Captain America because that's the date they wanted, right? And then they had to eventually move off of it. Of course, in that that weird March slot here that Batman v Superman has come out, it did have that good opening weekend, and it averaged about 40,000 per screens, which is a really good per screen average. It's safe to say that theater owners across the country, across the globe, really, uh, have been really happy with the returns they're getting by uh, exhibiting this this movie. Something that theater owners wouldn't be that excited about is something I would like to uh, cite as uh, Quentin Tarantino's worst nightmare come true. <laughs> yeah. And it is this uh, this idea proposed. It hasn't even really been formulated into anything concrete, but it's an idea essentially by Sean Parker, uh, one of the co-founders of Napster. It, essentially, for those who don't remember, he's the guy in the movie The Social Network that Justin Timberlake played. So there's that guy in real life. This Sean Parker uh, has proposed this idea called The Screening Room, which will be a sort of uh, day and date streaming service to rent any and all new, big or small movies. You don't have to go to the theater to see these. There's already uh, in the past week since this has uh, come about, there's been... Uh, a, a lot of sort of trepidation in the Hollywood corners. There's there's people that are against this already, saying they're they're totally against this idea. And James Cameron and Christopher Nolan put themselves in that camp. And then there's some heavy hitters, just as many heavy hitters, uh, on the pro side of this, with Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, and Peter Jackson, just some of the the few names uh, that are backing this idea, the screening room. I guess we can kind of start by just looking at this article in the Daily Beast. It was posted uh, last late Saturday night, and uh, the it had a bit of a over the top headline. We could say uh, is this is Sean Parker's the screening room the end of movie theaters was the headline, and yeah, that's that's a bit over the top. Uh, the article is a little bit more measured than that headline would lead you to believe, but it does still sort of at least open up a discussion here for us to get into uh, this idea of the screening room and how movie exhibition, movie distribution, how all of it's really in flux and changing. And we're at the kind of the beginning of this, but uh, to you, Rodrigo, I'm just curious, uh, you know, just to, just to start, uh, do, do you see the screening room as being the end of movie theaters? Well, for one, I haven't read the article, so I can't quite comment on it exactly, but um, the end of movie theaters, well, no, because nothing's actually come into to, to being right now it's just an idea 
and you know the screen room is creating a lot of noise um obviously around hollywood and in the industry and the media um you know sean parker former facebook former napster person um the idea of that day and date on demand home viewings for blockbusters at like what fifty dollars a pop there's obviously a lot of big support for it people like jj abrams peter jackson steven spielberg people like you mentioned and obviously it's got some filmmaker uh detractors but like uh the thing that you know, it's it's still just a, an idea and a conversation, and it hasn't really gone further than that. The other thing is, it's just, um, you know, who's going to agree to this? Like the film, like you know, you could get uh, you could get every single filmmaker in the world, you know, to to sign it and say, yeah, we're on board. But that means nothing. Um, ultimately, it's it's going to be something that the studios and the theater chains would have to agree on, and they would have to come to an agreement on it. Um, the theater chains will fight this tooth and nail. Uh, unless they had a piece of it, there's absolutely um, no incentive for them to have part of this. They already take you know, about half or 45% of theatrical receipts for, from studios. So what's in it for them? Absolutely nothing. Yes, it would be the death of... Uh, of uh, if it came into being and and it, and actually as this phenomenon, yeah, it could really incredibly affect the, the theater industry. The problem is the theater industry, like it's a symbiotic relationship, studios and and theaters. You know, studios probably the biggest mistake they ever did back in the, you know, when when the studio system was going was not become this this monopoly to take over the the, the theatrical. Uh, industrial complex you know what i mean um and they didn't and they're two different they're two different industrial complexes and uh there's they would have to come to some insane agreement on this with, that would probably not be you know it wouldn't be uh um remunerative for uh the studios they would have to fork over it's just i don't just don't see it happening i don't see what scenario in the world where theater owners um, you already have to see an example, just a small, tiny example, but uh, a reflective one. Uh, Beasts of No Nation, which uh, Netflix buys and they buy for $15 million and they make a lot of noise about it. And uh, what happens? The theaters turn their backs on it 100%. Landmark makes some small deal to, uh, to release that movie and... Beast of No Nation made less than a million dollars at the box office. It made like $900,000. Yes, people will say, well, they saw it on Netflix. Sure, but the theater owners did what they needed did to do. They essentially blacklisted it. You know what I mean? They, they said, you're going to put it on Netflix? You're going you're gonna to go with your own business? Fine, we are not going to put this in our theaters anywhere. So nobody did except for Landmark, and it was a small, tiny, limited release, and it did nothing. And, you know... There's again the argument's going to be made. Well, Netflix did well; they got more subscribers for it. The the the, the people who did uh, Beast of No Nation did well; they got fifteen million dollars. Um, they're all happy, fine. But you know, again, like what happened? It got nominated for zero Oscars. There was little buzz around it. It like it died. There's it's it's like sort of just like box office. It's more than just about money. There's perception. And another side of it, like for Batman and Superman. Uh, people will say, "Hey, you know, it's made X amount of money. That's great, right?" But the, the perception of its opening weekend has been marred with negative with negativity, right? About about how it's not good, etc. So uh, the perception is a big part of what happened with Beast of No Nation. Yes, it it's, it it probably was uh, financially successful for Netflix and for the producers and, and filmmakers of, of Beast of No Nation, but the industry echo of that was flat. It was dead.
Um, so that's one example of how, um, you know, what could happen in these scenarios where studios just sort of like blacklist, uh, turn their backs on something. And like, uh, it's just, that's a, it's a really tricky world for this to, to happen. The other thing which I find is somewhat amusing about all this is that, you know, it's from Sean Parker, the guy who, who co-founded Napster and look what Napster did to the music industry. It decimated it. So like, like. Like who's going to be the people who want like who's wants to be the film studio people or the industry film studio people that go yeah from the guy who who created Napster which ruined the music industry let's like let's let him do a movie you know uh, app or whatever so he can ruin us like um, you know red flag you know anybody right well red flag or really uh, we've seen examples of this already that have failed quite quickly right. uh, there was in two thousand eleven. DirecTV uh, tried to pass off a similar service like this where they charged twenty nine ninety nine for a fee. Whether it was the same service as the, this DirecTV one I'm referencing or another, do you remember when there was a, uh, another version of this for the Brett Ratner film Tower Heist? I do remember that. Yeah, uh, so there are several precedents here and uh, where they did not work out well. They failed quite quickly in these examples. Uh, but regardless, I, I do think that there is something to be said here for what's being proposed and the kind of inevitable future with, with this sort of technology. And we'd be lying to ourselves if, if we didn't acknowledge the fact that there is some form of this that's going to come about and probably be successful. Something will crack this code and and... Or uh, the more likely, as you've pointed out, the correct business uh, proposal, the correct business plan that, uh, if it's possible for all the parties to get uh, the piece of the pie to satisfy themselves, they they would they would do something like this. They, they would create this, and it, it could be a new form of storytelling, a new form of uh, distribution and exhibition for for movies, or hell, maybe even some new medium could be creative. I mean, that's what's exciting when you think about. Uh, technology like virtual reality, which is becoming a very serious, uh, actual thing that that is being worked on, and and is going to be perfected and honed and bettered, and you know I see that as being another element of home viewing for people. But maybe new mediums come about from this. That that's all very very exciting. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we do have to acknowledge that that this is just not probably the one. And the story overall is the the story about the screen uh, of the screening room is pretty much a non-starter. It seems like just an attempt to maybe get some attention and see what they could get out of it. But um, for now, I, I think we have to acknowledge that there is there is this is an an inevitable future that we're leading towards. I just don't think this is going to be the one. Sure, or that or that conversation, right? Like like that. I think. You know, I mean, let's face it, the way things are moving, um, something like the screening room is probably going to be a reality one day. But like, you know, right now for Sean Parker and his startup thing and, you know, so he's got some support from from you know, some filmmakers and stuff, but like you have to think of these EMC, AMC, Regal, Cinemark, the three biggest, you know, chains in the, in the, um, theater chains in the, in the country that are these gigantic corporations, these conglomerates, you know, the industrial theatrical complex, you know what I mean? And for them, you know, if they somehow got together and sort of, you know, if AMC started its own screening room or something like that and worked directly with a studio, I could see that maybe possibly working. But as like someone, Sean Parker, an outlier in this, um, not part of this, an outsider, and all of a sudden I'm going to create this thing, it just seems extremely difficult and and uh, 
Like I just don't buy any scenario where he's going to come in unless, you know, they're willing to like – I mean because the theater chains, if they somehow agreed to this, it would probably be on a title-by-title basis and they'd have to be taking some sort of cut to because it's essentially saying – you know, otherwise you're just going to say we're not going to screen this for you at all. It's like they will blacklist it, and then is the studio going to is is the studio going to take that? Is they going to say like, well, it's fine because we can make fifty dollars a pop um, here, and we worked out this deal. It's just it's just mega millions of I don't know how they would ever come to this kind of agreement on it. It's three really really big partners here um, with Parker Sean Parker honestly being the smallest one. Uh, with the smallest voice in in the room, because you've got two two titans of industry who would have to be battling on this, and then not only that, you'd, you're going to have to be doing it with studios, so it's per title, and then you have all these different theater chains. It's just a, it, and it's not like like okay, for example, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark, who are these big chains. It's not like they are competitors too. You know what I mean? It's not like you can go. Hey, theater industry, can you agree on this? Like it's <laughs> right, right. It's well, that's it's a little such far a, fetched, It's yeah. like it's right. It's far fetched. It's it's also like the Republicans and the Democrats, like trying to get them to agree to anything in Congress with a, with a zillion voices. And 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 you know, it's I I just don't. Uh, I while I do think something like the screening room is eventually it's it's uh it feels like inevitability at some point or at least on some kind of level although you know c- cinemas are really seeming to do everything they can to make um the cinema experience better i know for example in in uh, in uh, new york for example one of the amc's has this new deluxe like super screening room for their uh for their blockbusters which is really nice you know what i mean um and and uh like I feel like that's the the indication that you know they're feeling the pressure a little bit. They're they're starting to. I mean, that's the other part of it. The theater chains have really rested on their laurels for decades, um, which is why um, places like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon it's really ripe for the taking. You know, with like you know a, a getting a drink and a soda and paying like uh, or a soda and a popcorn and paying like fifteen dollars just for that. You know what I mean? Like um, they've been they've been. Um, hosing their customers for a long, long time, and and uh, and so yeah, I mean that's an interesting thing too. Just watching the the theater uh, industry having to really pay catch up and try and um, realize that maybe they don't really have a monopoly on this as much as they did. They're not the only game in town now. We do have Netflix. We have things that are challenging that we have VOD, and so while I think the theater industry in the next like decade is going to really try and step up, I still don't think. I don't. I still don't think that the the screening room is going to be a reality anytime soon. While I do agree with that, where you can see the argument for something like the screening room or a better or another version of it is, you know, throwing down fifty dollars to rent a movie for your entire family suddenly might seem like a really good deal, as opposed to taking them all out to the theater and buying tickets and then getting the concessions that you referenced, like then it becomes a much more expensive uh, outing for, for those people. And um, I don't know if you've noticed this or if this has happened to you personally, but uh, all my friends that have kids, uh, as soon as that happened, they do not go to the theater anymore. So I'm just curious if, you know, you, a father of two will, would use something like this. Cause I feel like it'd be very attractive to someone in your position. I, I would. I mean, I, the reality is um, I don't get to, to go to the theaters as much as I would like. I mean, you know, I try and hit, screenings when I can and stuff but I obviously have a lot going on and children and yeah you can't you can't do it so um 
uh, yeah, something like this on that level is 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 great and convenient for those who don't want to go to theaters, those who can't get to the theaters. Um, the other thing about it, though, is like who's to say that like you know what I uh, you know the first thing what I think of when I think of like okay, it's a fifty dollar rental. Like some dude goes, hey, like I'll invite like ten of my friends over, and I everyone you know like I charge them fifteen dollars a pop, and like you know what I mean. So it's not like. Uh, that fifty dollar rental is going to mean that like two people are watching it. People could have parties. People could have like little events. Right. Well, the thing I think of is, I mean, for decades there's been since since pay per view has existed. It it just makes me think of like boxing matches where a, one friend would rent the boxing match. It'd be really expensive on pay per view, but then you just invite all your buddies over or a, anybody else over. I mean, I remember doing that countless times, and I was not even a boxing fan, but I remember going to a friend's house and. Uh, getting to watch this and it was cheap once you broke it down between everybody else. Right, right. And and, and also, like, I, I don't know uh, what people are talking about, the piracy, you know, the studio industry, I mean, piracy is already killing the film industry. The studios are incredibly reluctant and, and you know, they, they're already trying to figure out what to do about piracy, which is killing them. Doesn't this open up piracy, like, like incredibly, like, you know, to some hacker or someone who, like, do, or even, like, what's to say... You know, like remember that first Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight when you know no, no one had a, an actual picture of um, Harvey Dent as Two Face, and then you know people would be in the theaters and they would be like taking their phones and taking that shot of it and putting it on you know on that weekend. You know what I mean? And so who's to say if I have a screening room, fifty dollars screening at my house, and I invite ten people over, and maybe there's some kids or some younger kids, and someone whips out their phone and 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 records that part and puts it on. You know what I mean? Like piracy. Right. I mean, the recent example of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. There was a torrent of it online almost instantly once it went out on VOD recently. So it, that technology exists, and it's way more advanced than just recording it off your phone. I mean, someone can easily get a rip of that once it's streaming or on VOD on the internet. It's just that simple. Yeah, they'd be they'd be opening up themselves to 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 make themselves more vulnerable to to piracy. And yeah, I mean the Star Wars that's a that's a huge one. You know, I got to imagine like um them trying to combat something like that, but those things spread like viruses and then it's like, you know, and those cut into uh the revenues. You know, those, those ancillaries are incredibly important for um for, for studios. You are correct about that. Those ancillary revenues are uh, nothing to sneeze at as a big part of their pie for the studios. So they're going to be hard pressed to give that up. But yeah, I think with that, Rodrigo Perez, I think we could wrap up uh, this conversation and maybe uh, just close off by saying, I think Sean Parker and his idea with this, with this screening room idea is uh, he, he's akin to uh, Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman. He's sort of just, <laughs> uh, he's just there as a mouthpiece. He's there to give exposition, but really uh, the, the relation is, is most closely when you, when you look at Lex Luthor in the movie as these sort of, um, he, he's, He's hyping up the fight. He's hyping up a lot of things with this screening room, but uh, I think it's all for naught. But regardless of what I think, uh, thanks again, Rodrigo Perez, for coming on the show, and we will see you next time. Cool. Thanks for having me. Signing off, I'm Eric McClanahan, and you have been listening to The Playlist Podcast.